And now hear the word of the Lord from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. It says this, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. And he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Verse 11, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Dodds. I'm one of the pastors here um, at Sojourn. Very glad to be with you all this morning. Um, As Paul said, uh, last week we celebrated Easter Sunday, uh, which launched us into the season of the church known as Eastertide, and that will last for the next six Sundays. And it's really during this time that we continue our celebration of Easter. So for the next six weeks, we will be celebrating Jesus and his resurrection in particular ways as we look at selected passages in John's gospel. And, and I, think it, I do think it very important that we as a church be, be formed in this, in this season. Um, we're incredibly formed, and rightly so, by celebrating Advent for the entire month of December leading up to the birth of Christ. And so if we spend the next month and a half celebrating that same Christ's resurrection in Eastertide, I think it does have the chance to, uh, to be equally formative for us. In our study of these passages, we will see Jesus appear to Mary Magdalene. We will see him appear to the disciples. We will hear him call himself the true vine and the good shepherd and the true friend. And those will be precious weeks together. This morning, we have come to John 20, which is one of the most powerful and moving stories within the whole of the Bible. There, there are a, a few famous paintings of this very scene, 
of Jesus appearing to Mary outside the tomb, but often Mary is depicted as sort of a, a hopeless mourner and Jesus as a, a detached savior uh, that needs to be not bothered by her, but let go. Um, but as we'll see, the Bible's telling of this scene is, is one of great intimacy and incredible meaning. John's gospel was the, was the final gospel written, and so all the scenes that he's chosen, all the descriptions, that, they just have this great depth and profundity. There's so much going on in these verses, and we're not going to be able to get to all of it. So I encourage you to, to keep looking. Before we get into the text, though, I wanted to read a few other texts that will be important during our time this morning. And I'd like to begin um, in Genesis 1 and 2. So let me read for us. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And God blessed them and said to them both, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now let me, let me read from Song of Solomon, a few verses from chapters three and six. Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? My beloved has gone down to his garden, to the beds of spices, to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him but found him not. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. And then just to give us a bit of context, let me read the ending verses of John 19. After these things, the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Does anything stand out to you in light of these, light of these verses? Gardens, right? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Solomon and his bride in the garden. Jesus laid in a garden. Jesus crucified in a garden. We'll be circling back to these, so keep them in mind. Let's keep them in mind. So creation began like this. God took Adam, and he put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. This is, he, he, gave, he gave Adam a, a job of cultivation. 
It's one of protection and nurturing and attention, diligence. He was made to be a gardener in God's great garden. And just like the scripture says, he was ordained and commissioned to continually cultivate that garden and everything surrounding it until the whole earth was glorified into one big garden. That was his charge. But it didn't happen. Adam rebelled. God, God had, had delegated his dominion to Adam, which was a, a terribly high calling. But when Adam ate from the tree of which he was forbidden to eat, he was attempting to walk in a greater authority than he had been given. And that rebellion was the fall of mankind. All of creation fell into a kingdom of sin and death. And every one of us here today, every one of us in this room, we're we're intimately acquainted with the consequences of Adam's failure. We know the pain and loss and disappointment of our own hearts, of our own lives, of this world. Darkness, destruction, death, and decay are, are all around us all the time, and we can try to ignore them. We can try to say that it isn't there. We can call it something else, but we're still living in a world marked by darkness. And as a gardener, as one who was charged to keep and work and protect and see to the growth of the garden, Adam failed. And his commission to cultivate a worldwide garden was left unfulfilled and unfinished. And instead of vines and fruit, there were only thorns and thistles. Life became hard. And Adam was cast out of the garden. He was cast out of the presence of God. But miraculously and graciously, God promised that one day a new Adam would come to conquer the darkness and death. He would be the seed of Eve, the offspring of Eve, a human being. And he would take up the failed commission to cultivate this worldwide garden and he would succeed where Adam failed. All of Israel, all the generations of men waited for that promise to be fulfilled. And when Jesus came, as we we saw in detail in the Sermon on the Mount in our time in Matthew, the world ran to him. And he healed and he restored and he inaugurated a new creation. And they wondered, "Is, is Jesus the new Adam that God promised? Everything seemed to say yes. At the beginning of our text today, Jesus is dead. And at the end of John 19, which we we read a moment ago, we see that Jesus was buried with just an inordinate amount of myrrh and aloe. Smell would have been tremendous. It would have been amazing. He was wrapped in linen and laid in what John calls a virgin tomb, a tomb that no one had ever been in before. And in that tomb, John says, there was a garden. So let's read from our text. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. 
So before dawn, early on the first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene arrives at the tomb and we're told that it's still dark. And that is very important because the Bible does not waste words. John has chosen his words very carefully. He wants us to see something. The Bible doesn't give us extraneous details to just forget and ignore. If John says it was still dark, we can assume a deeper meaning. And as it turns out, there's just this incredible theme strung throughout John's gospel of light and darkness. In chapter one, Jesus is introduced as the light of men, the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In chapter three, a ruler of the Jews named Nicodemus comes to Jesus at nighttime in the darkness, but he can't see what Jesus is teaching him. In chapter four, Jesus meets a woman at a well at noon. This woman isn't even a Jew, but she has no trouble at all seeing Jesus for who he is. And in chapter nine, Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world and he heals a blind man. He gives light to a man who has been living in darkness. So the gospel of John is playing on these themes and many more. But when Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb, it's still dark. John is trying to say us to, to, to us that she's, she's not seeing it clearly. She sees that the stone has been removed and she assumes that the body of Jesus has been stolen. After having run back to tell the disciples, Mary returns to the tomb. And now, from, truly from a literary standpoint, she is still in darkness. She is still not seeing things clearly. Verse 11. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. That's significant. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. So Mary is staring into the light of the world, but she's still in darkness. She thinks his body has been stolen. She has not yet seen him for who he is. She is a follower. She is one of his closest disciples, but even so she has not yet seen him for who she is. And then he says, Mary. He says her name. She was looking him in the eyes, but she couldn't see him. And so he speaks her name. He calls to her, and she hears his voice. The same voice that calmed the storm. The same voice that called Lazarus out of the tomb. Mary. And Mary supposes him to be the gardener. She supposes Jesus to be the gardener. Is that, is that strange in light, of, in light of Genesis? I don't think it is. This man was the gardener of the garden. You see, what John is telling us is that, look, look at this man. This Jesus is the new Adam for whom we have been waiting. 
Gospel of John is inviting us to make these connections. The Holy Spirit, through this word, is begging us to see Jesus for who he really is and to hear that he's not only calling Mary's name, but, but all of your names, calling to you by name, each one of us. Mary was sad and anxious and confused and angry and afraid, and she couldn't see everything, and Jesus draws near to her. He gets close, and he speaks her name. See, no matter what's going on in your world, no matter what distress, anxiety, fear, your own heart, the world around you, resurrected Christ is gently calling your name. I call my sheep by name. Remember what he said? I know the name of my sheep, and my sheep know my voice. Mary knows. That's Jesus. And she sees him. Jesus' resurrection leads to Mary's resurrection. The open tomb leads to Mary's opened eyes. And yet Mary's eyes are not opened like Eve's to nakedness and shame, but to joy. open to her glorious risen Lord. And in John's resurrection morning, Mary is also the woman in the Song of Solomon who searches the night and finds the one she loves in the midst of this scent-filled garden. The one whom my heart loves. And so all of a sudden, in all of this, in all of this intersection, we are in the presence of a man and a woman in a myrrh and aloe-spiced garden sanctuary, and we hear the echoes of Eden. We're back with Solomon as he grazes among the lilies where his bride will meet him. And not only does that make Jesus the greater Adam, the greater Solomon, the great gardener, it makes Mary the greater Eve, the new bride. Mary here is still every bit Mary Magdalene, but she becomes so much more. She becomes the bride of Christ. She becomes the church. By the death and resurrection of a new Adam, the creator of the world has now launched this plan to rescue the world from darkness, destruction, death, and decay, and he calls his beautiful bride, the one whom he loves, to join him in that work. And this is an invitation for all of us, for all of us to join him in the renewal of all things. That is the invitation, is to join this new Adam to turn the entire world into a garden again. All of us in Christ are being recommissioned and ordained as priestly gardeners and holy botanists in, in God's garden. Jesus wasn't resurrected so that the world would stay the same. He wasn't even resurrected so that we could just endure our time under this dominion of darkness and death and decay. He was, he was resurrected so that we could live under his dominion, this dominion of light and life. 
He was resurrected so that we could join him in shedding light on the darkness, in rebuilding what has been destroyed, in breathing life into a world of death, and renewing all that is subject to decay. See, God is restoring mankind to its original purpose. God is putting us back in the garden. He's swallowing up death forever because when Jesus came out of that tomb, he became the one who crushed the head of the serpent. He was the faithful one in the garden and he protected his bride. Resurrection is a truth that presupposes all truth. It's so fundamental. It's so deep that everything else changes because of it. And, and either we live in a world of death, death, and more death, or we live in a world where death is steadily being defeated. And in Christ, that is the reality that we live in. And at Sojourn, we believe that the chief gardener has commissioned us to cultivate his garden. And we want to make Houston and the Heights much more like Eden than it would have been if we'd never been here. And how do we do that? We do it by tending to one another like faithful gardeners in God's garden, faithful field hands in his vineyard. We do it by cultivating a community that produces the fruit of the Spirit, joy, love, patience, kindness, gentleness, and faithfulness goodness, self-control. We do it in parish life as people are welcomed to our respective tables and we share food and life and struggle and hope. We do it as we offer these things to our non-Christian neighbors and friends. I mean, just think about the details of being a gardener and having a garden. Each one of our hearts, a garden that needs tilling and cultivating Each one of our parishes, a garden that needs tilling and cultivating. This church at large, a garden that needs tilling and cultivating. We get close in relationships. We get close to one another. We tend to the depths of each other's hearts and lives and stories and pain and dreams and all of that. We plant through conversation and teaching and encouragement. We uproot through correction and warning and care. We, we enjoy old fruits from our 10 years as a church and we look forward to new fruits in the next 10. And even when things don't come out of the ground, we try again and again. Over and over, we speak, we listen, we pray, we share, we serve. We mourn the decay, we celebrate new life. That is life in the garden. What happens to a garden when you neglect it? It gets overgrown. It doesn't feed. But each one of our hearts, each one of our parishes, always ready to be pruned, to be enlivened again by the power of the Spirit. And we bear this fruit not only for us to enjoy, but for our neighbors to enjoy, excuse me, 
for our neighbors to enjoy as well. The garden we're building is a home and a table. It's a hospital and a school. The church is a garden. Sojourn, the church is the garden. We are God's field, and when we scatter the seed of the gospel, the word of God increases and multiplies, and he brings a harvest of new gardeners. We're called to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, to work the garden, to keep it until the world is made over into a global garden. And as much as our hearts groan for the revealing of the sons of God, creation groans with eager longing for the, reveal, for the revealing of God's gardeners who are called to baptize and disciple the nations. As Paul said, in the whole world, the word of the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. So should it be with us. As the word of God grows and multiplies and bears fruit, as we feast upon God's word and the riches of the gospel, the word finds good soil in our hearts and in the hearts of our neighbors, and we see the garden expand. Jesus is the new Adam. And because that's true, Sojourn, everything has changed and everything is changing. There's still suffering, there's still death, but the resurrection of Christ has guaranteed that suffering and death will come to an end. And so are we, I ask it as a we, are, are we in for this? Do we see Jesus here? Do we hear him? Because in Christ you have been commissioned as a gardener. If you have yet to see Jesus like Mary, then this is your invitation. This is the one whom your heart has been seeking in the squares, in the city, the one who grazes in the lilies, the one who speaks your name. He was resurrected so that his church could join him in shedding light in the darkness, rebuilding what's been destroyed, breathing life into this world of death and renewing all that is subject to decay. And he has restored us to our original purpose, the reason for which humanity was created. He is swallowing up death forever. He is wiping away tears from all faces. He is turning the world into a garden again. And all of you, all of us, all of you, invited to lock arms with him in this glorious work of renewal. Let's pray. Jesus, we honor you. This Easter tide, we honor you as our resurrected king, as the one who Lord, who, the one who made the tomb a garden as the one who made a place of death a place of life. As the one who has called each one of us by name. Lord, we, we long to continually see you as Mary did to search for you as Mary did. 
Lord, would you make us a bride that searches for you, that, that seeks your face, that, that comes after you, that longs for you. And Lord, will you make, would you make Sojourn Heights more and more of a garden? Would you make our, our would, you, would you till, would you plant? Or would you bring health and joy and sharing? Lord, we long to glorify you in our work. We long to, Lord, extend, Lord, the, the walls of your garden so that others would be invited in, that they would join in this work, that their hearts would come, Lord, to the end of their search. I found the one whom my heart loves, and he loves me. Lord, would you do that? We know that's what you're doing. We know that's what you're working. Help us join you in that work. We trust you and we need you. We ask all of this in your name.